back to our parenting seminar tonight. We are going to look a little bit more in depth at this parenting principle of control. So before we get into that, let me go ahead and open our time in prayer and ask the Lord to bless our study and our interaction. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are in control of our lives. We're grateful that you are the one who directs our steps and teaches us and shows us the way to go. And I pray that as we seek to do that for our children, Lord, that authority that you've given us to lead and to shepherd and to place parameters upon and to guide our children, I pray that Christ would be at the center of all of that. I pray for these parents that you would bless them, that you would watch over them, and help us to honor you tonight through our study. We pray this in Christ's holy and wonderful name. Amen. So our principle for this evening is about control. And here is what we're going to spend some time talking about. The goal of parenting is not to control behavior, but rather seek heart and life change. And this is Nothing new. We've emphasized this several times throughout this seminar, but I want to spend a little bit more in depth tonight talking about that. So let's ask the question, do our children need to be controlled? I think the answer is yes, right? They need parameters. They need guidelines. They need to know the things that they should not do. And we need to be putting things in place to help them to uh, avoid certain things. But we also need to ask this question, is controlling our children's behavior enough of a goal as a parent? And to that, the answer is no. Again, we've, we've talked about this numerous times throughout the seminar, uh, but let's, let's see what this looks like in more detail here. What do our children truly need? What do you as a parent, what you do as a parent shouldn't be dictated by the culture. What we do as parents shouldn't be directed by a reaction to the way that we were parented. What we do as parents should not be shaped by what we dream our children of becoming. What we do as parents should not be shaped by the emotional roller coaster that we ride each and every day. What we do as parents should be shaped by what God says that everyone needs. But there's a deep-seated need that our children truly have. And I want us to spend some time in Psalm 51 tonight seeking some guidance in this area. So we're going to look at Psalm 51. This is David's repentance psalm, his confession psalm. And we're going to look at what our children's deepest need is and see how control fits into that. So let's start by looking at Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you only I have sinned and done was evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, your delight in truth Behold, you delight in truth in my inward being. 
and you teach me wisdom in the secret hearts. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. For you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in right sacrifices. Then burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. So again, looking at our children's deepest needs in regards to their life with God and this whole idea of control, we're going to start in verse 1 here by looking at our children's deepest need is that they see their sin and that they cry out for mercy. We see this in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. So how does this psalm begin? You know, it, it starts with David crying out. You know, we typically only come to this point ourselves when we realize the danger that we're in. However, we don't have to come to the end of our ropes in order to cry out. God wants us to cry out at all times. As parents, we need to be lovingly and patiently walking alongside our children and pointing them to their great need of mercy and pray that the Lord would work that in them. See, they're not going to cry for mercy unless they acknowledge their sin and that they need help. And they're never going to see that they need help just by us trying to control them. They're going to see their need for mercy when they see us putting parameters in their lives for the purpose of helping them see that need. We've already spoken about how our children need saving from themselves, not necessarily the culture or friends or media or whatever. So what would happen if our children secure a good future but have no awareness of their sin? I think we've missed the mark if that's our main goal, is just to secure something good for them, for their future in a worldly sense. But we miss out on that God-directed command to nurture and point our children to their need. So another deep need is to understand the nature of sin so that they don't downplay it. Let's turn back to Psalm 51. First three verses. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So, how does David show this understanding of his own heart and his nature here? Well, he understands it all the way to his very core. 
And we need to see that talking about sin and its nature should be a part of our parenting, right? This is in itself kind of a form of control, but a, a good one. When we talk about sin and its dangers and, and what it does and how it works in us, that's a way for us to describe things to our children that they need to, A, avoid, but B, do it for a reason that is, is good. Not just to avoid bad behavior, but to avoid it because that means that they are drawing closer to God. We want our kids to see the dangers so that they may be protected from them. But to be aware of sin's power and its damage is a loving and kind thing to do as parents. That's the kind of loving control that we need to be placing in our children's lives. But our children don't come in the world recognizing this. And this is going to take time to help them see it. No amount of control is as good as teaching in love. So understanding the nature of sin so they don't downplay it is a great deep need of theirs. Another one is that our children have a deep need to understand that the problem is not with their parents, but with God. Let's look at Psalm 51.4. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Does David play the blame game here? No. In fact, he understands the gravity of what he has done. Of course, he has sinned against others. Okay, You go and talk to Bathsheba. She will by no means steer away from the fact that David has sinned against her physically. Uh, if Uriah had somehow survived, you could probably go and talk to him, and he would tell you that David had sinned against him. Okay, So yes, he has sinned against other people, but at his core... He recognizes that his very his sin is very much against God. Paul David Tripp says every sin is vertical. Every sin is a fist in the face of God. Every sin is a desire to remove God from his throne and to sit ourselves there. So it's not just this horizontal thing. Okay? David recognizes that he has sinned against others. He wouldn't be pleading for mercy if he didn't believe that, but he truly recognizes that he needs to come before God pleading for his mercy. And we as parents should help our kids see that their sin aims to put them at the center of the universe. And we need to help them see how unhelpful that is for them. See, when we place parameters and control on our children, uh, they, they may view us as the enemy. They may view us as the problem. But we aren't the problem. Sin is. And if we keep just putting control after control after control on them without directing them and showing them the reason why we're doing these things in a loving and godly way, then again, we're missing the mark. We lovingly engage to help them see that we aren't the problem their sin is. And their problem isn't necessarily with us, even though they may blame us. Their problem is with God. And we can help them see this by teaching them that they were made for God, created to do His will. It's an easier thing to say than to do, but we are called to do this. 
Another deep need that our children have is to understand the sin nature problem and how that produces behavior problems. Look at verse 5. It says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. How does David address this here? Well, he recognizes that from the get-go he was sinful. And everything that he'd struggled with is because of that. Uh, R.C. Sproul once said that we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Over time, when our children see that they have a heart problem, they can actually begin to see that their behavior comes from that. It's not that they just make bad choices. They make bad choices because they have a heart issue. Trip also says, sin is not first a bad behavior, but sin is a condition that produces bad behavior. So again, we need to help our children see this so that they can see the rescuing, transforming, and delivering grace that they have in Christ. And as we put things in their lives to help curb bad behavior, we aim to teach them that. We aim to show them that rescuing, transforming, and delivering grace. So lastly, just one more for us. Our children have a deep need to see that sin is a heart problem and that that requires a new heart. Let's look at verse 10 in Psalm 51. David says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What does David plead for here? Well, I think both David and Ezekiel, if you look at Ezekiel 36, they have the same thing in mind when they recognize that our greatest need is to have a heart that is transformed by God. David's pleading for a new heart, a clean heart. Look at Ezekiel 36:26. When I hear David say this in a psalm, I immediately think about Ezekiel 36, when Ezekiel says, And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is God speaking to His people, promising redemption. Promising a correction to their heart problem. He's going to remove that stone of flesh and give them a heart, remove that heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. See, the only cure for a bad heart is a heart transplant, which God promises to do. And David is pleading for that. That's why it's so important to help our children see that this is the reason that Jesus came and endured the cross in the first place. Because not that they just needed some help, but they needed rescuing. They needed to be completely transformed. So again, any form of control or or protection that we try to put over our children to curb their behavior and to help teach them should have this at the center of it. That the reason they need these things is because God is working in them and transforming them and teaching them. But more than being controlled, our children need to be delivered and we need to recognize that in our own hearts. See that. Paul David Tripp says this, and I thought this was rather curious. The doorway to hope is hopelessness. When I read that, I I was a bit confused, but the more I think about it, the more it makes sense to me. The doorway to hope is hopelessness. The, 
The only way that we're going to see the hope that we have in Christ is when we see the hopeless state that we are in. Right? When we see that we are, uh, like Ezekiel describes in Ezekiel 37, we're like that valley of dry bones. Right? Uh, completely left to our own where we, we have nothing uh, to place our hope in. Right? And uh, I love Ezekiel 37 because if you read it, it, it the language that's used in that chapter is so beautiful in that when Ezekiel's walking amongst these bones, God is talking to him and he promises some restoration here. And he uses, in the English we see several different terms, but in the Hebrew it's all one word. It's the, the word ruah, which means spirit. But it also means wind. It also means breath. And if you go back and read that chapter, God brings the bones up. He, he puts muscle and sinew on them. He gets them upright. But they're not fully restored until God breathes new life into them. He takes his breath. And in the passage, you also see this picture of the winds coming together. And you see the Spirit at work in that restoration. See, we will never understand the hope that we have in Christ, the hope that we have for deliverance until we see how hopeless we are just like that valley of dry bones. For our children, no amount of control can change their behavior like instilling hope can. So as you do place parameters and control on your children, I encourage you to do so by showing them the depth of their heart issues and the amazing hope that they have to see actual change inside of them. So let's spend some time discussing this and we will close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your love for us, Lord. We all have a great need. We all have this great plight that we're in where we are hopeless without you. So I do pray that as we seek to shepherd our children, as we seek to place forms of control and parameters upon them, Lord, that we would do so with the right mind, the right heart, Lord, not expecting these things to change our children, but rather seeking to use them as ways to teach, to shepherd and to mold. We're grateful for the ways that you do that with us, and we ask that you do that with our children. We pray this all in Christ's holy and wonderful name. Amen. Amen.